The scripture reading today is from Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13, 23. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Jesus got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Rome, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Go, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over <coughs> Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Amen. Please join me in a spirit of prayer. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts collectively be acceptable in your sight. For you, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So throughout the month of December, I have been writing liturgy and sermons next to our Christmas tree in the living room. You can probably see it if you go by Nahant Road. And it was this pretty nice, tall tree this year. And it was a bit of what might be called a mystery tree since we plucked it pre-wrapped out of this snowbank in the Home Depot parking lot on that one day that it really snowed. Um, and we took it home and we unwrapped it and it was pretty icy, but over time its branches, they started to fall. And it was apparent that it was actually quite a lovely tree. I love this time of year. I love this time of year when I can sit and write next to a Christmas tree right there in my living room, a reminder of the wonder and the joy of the season of Christmas. And there's so many things to be reminders of that wonder and joy. We sing these songs that we sing this time of year. We have these family traditions that we adhere to, these cultural traditions. 
the ways in which gifting maybe brings up our more generous and kind selves, the scripture and the stories that we read throughout this month of December draw our attention to the birth of God incarnate among us, something that we have awe and wonder towards. And so on this Sunday, right after December 25th, it can feel really jarring to be met with today's scripture, a reading from the Revised Common Lectionary. So many, many churches this morning are wrestling with this scripture, and so we will too. Throughout the season of Advent, we've been reading scripture which anticipated the birth of Christ, and on Christmas Eve, we read of that glorious arrival of Christ, God incarnate in a humble manger. And so this Sunday's reading moves us instead of that light and shiny part of life, it moves us instead to this shadow side of existence. It focuses on what it means to live in what theologian Eric Barreto calls the days between, the days between promises and their fruition. So we have this vulnerable infant Jesus existing in a space in which threats abound. God's unceasing protection and Joseph's acute obedience managed to protect Jesus in what is an incredibly dangerous time. Ancient prophecies come to life and Jesus' mission carries forth. And in this morning scripture, we see that even from the beginning of Jesus' life, when he was but this tiny infant in his parents' arms, there was this combination of God's promises and love mixed with human resistance and outright violence. There are three prophecies that you may have heard as Mo was reading this morning's scripture that really anchors the three movements in this morning's text. And so I'm going to guide you through each one of those prophecies in turn. So the first section of this morning's scripture is about fleeing to Egypt. And so our gospel recounts how Jesus' family was spared from Herod's fury, from his desire to go after these small children. Now, Herod was a very brutal figure, and he was known for violence and for paranoia. And so an angel in this story arrives to Joseph, warns him, and tells him, get out of here, flee this region, head towards Egypt. But Matthew, the gospel, wants us to know that this fleeing to Egypt, this geographic detour in Jesus' early life, was something that was foretold by prophets long ago. So he cites, Matthew's gospel cites Hosea 11.1 and appeals to a prophesy originally focused on the people of Israel, but now referring to Jesus, the Christ child. Now, this can feel a little bit complicated when we look through this and when we read this, and in many ways, it can feel very anti-Semitic when read through certain lenses as well. But the importance of this citing of earlier Matthew's cl- claims then is, <laughs> then is what Jesus is supposed to be understood as is fulfilling a prophecy. So what we read is Hosea's words in this scripture in Matthew, and we see that God is therefore showing that the Christ child is this fulfillment of prophecy. And this is important because Matthew was speaking to a Jewish audience. So this appeal to their earlier believed prophecies make a lot of sense as he tries to show the importance and the relevance and the truth of this story. So this flight to Egypt, this geographic place of Egypt, also reminds these Jewish listeners of the early gospel stories of Moses, takes them back in their mind to Moses and the people of Israel being liberated and led to a new life out of oppression. So we see in this an echo, Moses and Jesus, this movement to liberation. 
So that's the first piece. It's this flight to Egypt, this movement to liberation, God's promises. The second piece of this morning's scripture is often called the slaughter of the innocents, and art and poetry and music abounds regarding this particular movement. And so the first movement is the flight to Egypt, and the second movement is what's referred to as the slaughter of the innocents. So Herod becomes extremely over-the-top violent and paranoid in response to the news that the Magi have circumvented the conspiracy to eliminate this baby who would become Jesus Christ. And so Herod desperately wants to protect and preserve his power. And he knows that generally the date of the Christ child birth is based on these calculations that the Magi had predicted. And so Herod puts out this dictation. He dictates that all the children born in and around Bethlehem, he is thorough in this general time frame, would be killed. And so I want you to sit with that for a minute because that is a massive statement to desire to kill innocent children. That's a lot of fear of losing power. And so the prophet that is cited in this portion of the scripture is the prophet Jeremiah, who had prophesied this weeping and horrific grief that would come out of the hearts of Israel, out of these mothers, particularly as their babies were killed. And this story, spoken to a Jewish audience, these Jewish people, would have reminded them of the Exodus story and the killing of male infants in Moses' time. It is an echo of that. Both Moses and Jesus are born under the threat of death, but both of them throughout their life and their leadership are consistently guided by this loving and all-knowing God. They manage to live and to ultimately lead, and this recalling of Exodus and creating these parallels to Moses is a way in which Matthew continues to give credence to this new figure in these people's lives, Jesus. So to recap, the first movement, they're fleeing to Egypt. The second movement, we're talking about Herod's horrific campaign to kill these infants. And then the third movement is when the Holy Family makes their way to Nazareth. Now Nazareth is Jesus' hometown, though it is not his birth town. For he was born in Bethlehem, but he makes his home and grows up in Nazareth. Jesus hears from, an, or Joseph hears from an angel that Herod has died. And so at first glance, we think that perhaps the threat of violence has ceased, but it has maybe not ceased, but merely lowered a bit. And so knowing that there would not be such intense threat, they first try to go back to Bethlehem of Judea, but when they find out that Herod's son is ruling over that area, they make the decision to make their home in Nazareth in Galilee. And again, the gospel writer makes reference to another apparent prophesy. And so it says, he will be called a Nazarene. But when we look into this, there is not actually a single portion of the Hebrew Bible that reads just as Matthew quotes. And so this is a... A, a reference to something that we might not even know exactly what it is, but there seems to be this continued pattern of appeal to his Jewish audience. So we can imagine that this source may be one that we don't know, but is certainly something that resonated with the early audience. There's something exciting, I think, in the mystery of that, that there are these references and these other you know, documents and stories in this oral tradition that we might not even know about. So here's the takeaways from this morning's scripture. There's three that I identify, and there may be many more that resonate in your life. But the first one is this. 
The Christ child's very early life was one in which his parents had to trust in God immensely simply in order to keep him safe. The second is this, that Christ was a threat to the powers and principalities of the day even when he was this big. And the third is that the early life of Christ was seen as a fulfillment of the words of prophets from long ago and that Matthew's telling of this story has a lot to do with the context and the original audience. And this morning's scripture, in a much, much broader sense, is a call for us to understand that the church is an extension of Jesus in the world. And to be that extension of Jesus in the world requires us to know who Jesus is and was from infancy and beyond. We have to know his origin story and the ways in which his early life was spent and shaped in order to understand our own church's roots. This morning's scripture is a call for the wider church of Jesus Christ, for the Nahant Village Church in particular, as it enters into the year of 2020, to have a really clear sense of origin story, of mission and purpose, and what the future story might look like. We need to know that we must trust God in every move that we make. We need to know that to be Christian and to follow Christ is a radical thing to do in a world more focused on power and profit than people and peace. We need to know that the church was built, that the church we build and grow today is what was dreamed up by ancestors long ago, perhaps even dreamed up by Jesus who continued to build a larger table and draw a wider circle. And so this morning, Nahant Village Church, I'd like to give you a hint of what the Holy Spirit has been stirring up in me and in many of you who I've talked to as we look towards our ministry together in the year 2020. So you can consider this next little bit kind of a State of the Union address, or in this case, a State of the Church address before New Year's here. So when the Nahant Village Church was searching for a new settled pastor, there were a few things that were highlighted as high priorities for the church in what is called the church's profile. The profile is what potential applicants read through in order to get to know a church better, to get to know its values and where it thinks it's headed. There were three things that were especially highlighted in that profile. So I'm going to tell you those priorities that were outlined, how we've been exploring those together so far, and what you might anticipate in the year to come, how we can partner together on those. So the first priority that was outlined was this. The church was looking for the next pastor, and what I read there is the next pastor in partnership with the congregation and the Holy Spirit, to, quote, speak to everyone through preaching, teaching, pastoral care, worship, and music. And now, this is a mighty task because here's the thing. Not every sermon, prayer, hymn, worship service, book study, etc. is going to speak to everyone all the time. To get close to that everyone, I would need to water down everything down to this palatable neutral. And I can guarantee you that no one who is desperate for a powerful message of Jesus in their life, no one who is searching for a church to belong to, is going to be attracted to palatable neutral. Instead, what you may have found over the past few months together, and that I guarantee you will find in the new year, is that not every service or sermon or prayer or hymn is for you. Because in order to reach everyone, sometimes some of us have to be pretty uncomfortable. 
I'm going to preach a heart sermon on a day when you really wanted a head one. And I'm going to preach a head one on a day when you really wanted a heart one. And I'm going to use sermon illustrations that you relate to one week and ones that you don't relate to another week. And I guarantee that in order to grow this church, I will disappoint you. But here's the thing. It is that sermon, that hymn, that prayer, that is actually for somebody in this room. It might not be for you, but it's for somebody. And so I need you all in this year 2020 to trust me that when I say something from the pulpit or when a guest preacher or speaker comes in and does that, or when we choose a certain piece of music, there is a reason behind that that has to do with other people sitting in the pews next to you. Trust that I am in deep and prayerful conversation with this congregation and wider community each and every day, and that those conversations and prayers are what guide what happens here in worship. And so I invite you to think about it like this. For those of you who have a partner or a child or anybody else in your life who you love unconditionally, you know that sometimes you watch that movie that you hate because they love it. <laughs> and maybe you do it every year. For me, that's love actually around Christmas. Um, and you know that sometimes you go to that restaurant that you don't really like, but because they need it that night. Think about church like that. Because church is not a performance or a product. It's a transformational experience that we're having together. So let's be in solidarity with each other. If there's something happening in worship that is not for you, remember that it is for someone else, and that is a good thing. So what do we do as we sit there, either bored or angry or uncomfortable? We think about how we're building a bigger table, that we're casting a wider net, that we are constructing a larger tent in which all people are welcome and are deeply seen and fed in worship, not palatable neutral, but radically affirmed. In order to meet this priority of speaking to everyone that was outlined in the profile, it means that we have to be patient and know that not every Sunday is going to speak to every person in the room, but that it might be speaking life that is really needed for someone. When something in worship is not your cup of tea, I invite you to put on your host hat instead of your guest hat. Get curious. Investigate why you're not into it. Think about who this is probably serving and spend that whole time tuning me out and praying for them. And if there's something that you need from worship, please tell me about it because I am a prayerful listener and I do survey the congregation at large twice a year, but I am not a mind reader. So if there's something going on in your life that you need to hear in a sermon or that you need to hear a scripture about, tell me about it. And if there's a special hymn that is so important to you, tell me and we will sing it together. So in summary, not every week is for you, but it is for somebody. Be prayerful, be curious, be open in communicating with me if there's something that you'd like to request for a service coming up. The second priority that was outlined in the church's profile was to call an effective communicator who can reach out to the wider Nahant community, including families with children and the elderly. And now this is an interesting priority that I've been exploring during my time with you. And know this, we are growing in that steady way that is good and sustainable. But that growth is really not limited to the Nahant community. And you may have noticed that our growth, our growth is coming from people who live in Lynn and Swampskit and further away, just as much as it is from people living in Nahant. And so I invite you to think about how this church, which has been, which has been historically a Nahant church, may be being called by God to be a regional church, a place in which people from all over the area get to experience that mystical drive over the causeway 
Think about how, <coughs> think about how this space, we might have these shores that people can meditate upon before they join us in worship. Let's open our doors wider and see the call to grow this church not as a long shot, dependent on the demographics of a small island, but a call from God that requires us to think and dream and trust and hope in a much bigger way. And so this too is definitely gonna feel uncomfortable for you. There will be people from all over the place who may not have been your neighbors for years. There is a call in this understanding of casting a wider net that we all invite people into this congregation who may not reside in Nahant. And so in 2020, you'll see some significant efforts of evangelism from me, and I'll help us together to build up our evangelism muscles and learn how to become increasingly invitational to visitors. In 2019, part of this effort was the creation of the name tags to increase our welcome. And this is also why we record and podcast every Sunday morning sermon, inviting, over the course of 19, many hundreds of people to listen to our sermons wherever they may be. In 2020, you'll see more initiatives, including the creation of a church database, which will allow me, as your pastor, to follow up more effectively with visitors in order to invite them further into community and extend our welcome. Know this, church. I have trained many pastors and churches throughout multiple denominations in progressive Protestant churches on the tenets of effective church growth. And so I am committed to listening to you and to using those skills that I have already. So if you trust me, we can blaze some trails together. We can throw those doors wider and wider open. And it will be uncomfortable because in our tradition, we're not really evangelists, right? But we're going to try that on. We're going to explore what that means. And we're going to become more welcoming. The third priority that was in the profile was this, quote, someone who makes everyone feel welcome and is an advocate for our open and affirming covenant. Friends, we are making good progress on this priority. We have some diversity of new membership that makes my heart sing, but there is work to be done here. And so my call to you in this priority is to be open to doing that work. Since I have been here, I've heard a number of stories from newer people or visitors, and here's some of the things that they say about this church as it is right now. One person said to me, this is the first church where anyone has made it clear to me that even I am welcome to take communion. Another person told me that this is the first church where she knows she can be an intellectual person right alongside developing spirituality. That's good news, church. That is a good review of who you are. So hold on to those words of praise. And when it comes to people who step foot in this door only for baptisms and weddings, Christmas Eves and funerals, be elated hosts. Be elated hosts without expectation for return. Recognize that each of those events is a sacred time in which those who keep this church running year-round can extend God's radical welcome and do not give off even an ounce of guilt. So let's build upon this amazing work this church already does. Let's continue to educate ourselves on how to be truly affirming of all people, just as Jesus was. So when you're uncomfortable, let's talk about it. But here's the thing, to live into an open and affirming statement means that not everything we do here is going to center on the experience of whiteness, straightness, middle-classness, neurotypicalness, able-bodiedness, etc. 
And I want you to really read your scriptures and see if you find any evidence that Jesus centered those things in his ministry. Instead, we are going to take our time in our life together to center other ways of being, other ways of the imago dei in our society. And why is that? Because it's quite literally what Jesus did in his ministry, centering those on the margins. And so we will do that too. And it will be uncomfortable for different people at different times. But that's okay because we can stand on the bedrock of knowing that that is gospel work. And here's the thing, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because when we do that kind of work, we actually do change lives. When we do that kind of work, we actually save lives. When we do that kind of work, we actually bring people into relationship with God. And I guarantee you that if you have not heard somebody come up to you and tell a story like that, that is the kind of fuel that will let you sit in discomfort for a good long time. So friends, this Sunday, hold on to the excitement and the thrill that comes with the very recent birth of Jesus in our lives. This is a time of good news and awe and wonder. And read that scripture from today a few times and really let that sink in that Jesus' life, though we sing about it as if there are choirs of angels and all these beautiful animals around him, though that is true, there was also a genocidal person after him and his cohort of peers. Right from the start, he lived in that tension between God's call and human violence. So know that the Church of Jesus Christ, the great resistor and the resurrector, is needed now in the year 2020 just as much as it has ever been needed. And know that you are called to be a part of its thriving and growth here at the Nahant Village Church. So as we go into 2020 together, let's be a team. Let's be a really great team that makes this a great year for our church. Let's get comfortable with being uncomfortable for the sake of making our church that much more safe and affirming place for each and every person. Let's pledge to have open communication with one another as we learn to grow and stretch ourselves. Let's commit to learning God's word together and being a beacon of light, not just in Nahant, but over the causeway as well. Because friends, this is a thing that I know. I know that this morning, There are people at home waiting for an invitation to be in worship. So let's extend that invitation. And when they get here, let's make it really, really clear that this is a community that sees them as God's beloved ones, beautiful, worthy, and belonging in this church that follows Jesus. Amen. We are the SEAL Team 6 of Constellation. We're the guys that go in and... 